Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part four of the story of Jeremy and Zachary Kane and Mark Harper. Three boys, now men, who were convicted of the murder of Jimmy Hill. It's a murder they say was self-defence against a man who would allegedly sexually assault Mark Harper. Both Jeremy and Zach are, of course, still incarcerated for this crime, both having served very harsh and violent prison time. Placed into men's facilities as children, they would have to fight to protect themselves from those who would seek to prey on the weak and vulnerable. However, these days, both the boys find themselves in slightly less severe surroundings, as both are now serving their time in work camps. These facilities are classified as minimum security prisons, and the men in them are allowed to take on jobs outside the prison. The facility itself is in fact without walls and fences. Of course, in order to get to these places, you must have an exemplary record and be considered safe to be housed here and to be given the opportunity to take on a job. However, this doesn't always mean that things don't go wrong, which I found out one morning when I caught up with Jeremy. You may start the conversation now. Hey, hey. Hey, how's everything going? Good, thank you, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing all right? Oh. What's been uh, What's been happening? Oh, I mean, not a whole lot. It's usual, just taking people to work and stuff. Uh, I people back and forth to work and staying out of trouble. Some idiot here escaped a couple of days ago and left off his job. Oh, shit. Yeah, I, I mean, I know it probably sounds like a big thing, but it really ain't. I mean, it happens. The tight place we're having, there's no fence or anything here. They work regular jobs and they wear regular clothes. They work regular jobs. And I take them to work, pick them up, bring them back. I mean, so, I mean, he just walked off his job or whatever he did. I don't know what the hell the idiot did. He was on drugs. So that's probably the reason why the idiot did it. So, so yeah, does, does I mean, that make it harder for you guys once someone does that? Does it, does it all of a sudden get a bit crazy and everyone's locked down and all the rest of it? Uh, not, not so much if, when it happens from one of these facilities. If it's like a major facility, then yeah, it makes a pretty big deal. That don't happen very often, but like these work release type facilities, like I said, they're working regular jobs. So, you know, 
lot of most of the time somebody does that stupid stuff because they're on some type of drugs. Usually they're not thinking clearly and they just I don't know, you know, just trip or something and just decide I need to leave today or something. I don't know what makes them do it. I mean it's it's clearly the drugs, you're just not thinking clearly. Yeah. And they you know, I don't know his situation. I just know he was on drugs. Uh it's blatantly obvious. Yeah. But uh so but yeah, other than that, that's about it. Well, no, ain't about it. Well, there's another guy today almost died. He OD's on drugs, so Another day in Alabama prison system. Deary me. So does so? I mean, yeah, do you, I you think about these these work camps, and you know, the idea I suppose of them is for people with you know exemplary exemplary records, getting a little bit more freedoms and all the rest of it. Um, but you obviously still get rife with drugs, and as you said, people escaping and yeah. I mean, that's that's a normal. I mean, it's not like every day when the drugs. Yeah, there's, there's. I mean, there's just. The thing about it is, the vast majority of people in prison is, you know, I'd probably say 80 percent or more is, is related to drugs in some way, shape, or form. You know, I'm, you know, my case is one of the fewer cases that's not anything to do with drugs. But most of the time, people in prison is usually drug related, whether it's, you know, um, uh, theft cases or drug cases or robbery cases or even murder cases. I mean, a lot of them are, are still, you know dig down and look drugs are usually involved in some way shape or form most of the time yeah um so the, the vast majority of people in prison are drug addicts and if you're in prison where there's plenty of drugs and you wouldn't think there would be but there's just as much drugs here as there is out you know in, in the free world so yeah, yeah absolutely and and so probably easier to find when you're in a facility like that it's easier to know who's got them yeah it's pretty it's it's yeah it's very simple if you, if you want to do drugs it's very simple to know who has the drugs and you know, and stuff, so. But, yeah, that's, that's about all that's been going on with me. I mean, like, you know, I'm talking about it like it's normal because to me it kind of seems normal. I know it probably sounds like wild to you, but. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, it's I not every day I hear about a prison escape, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've been at these type lower-level facilities for years and for since 2000, January 2019, and I've probably, oh, it's probably been at, at the specific facility I have been at. I've probably seen 15 or more escapes not necessarily seen but been at the facility where the escapes happen yeah um so it, it's it's a lot more common than you would think now at, at a major facility um I, you know in the other 17 years i did at the major facilities and you know i might have been um not less than 10 and that i'm aware of in 17 years yeah so it's not you know that that often In our last episode, we heard how all four boys, Jeremy, Zach, Mark and Chris, had all been arrested and charged for the murder of 41-year-old Jimmy Hill and had been released on bond. The story would begin to make headlines. A lot of headlines. Four juveniles held in Pleasant Grove beating. Beating victim dies. Teens face charges. All suspects expected to be in custody today. Teens charged with murder in bat beating. Slaying three teens charged in beating death. Slain grocer feared teen. Police chief says feud had got out of hand. Bat violence. 15-year-old to be tried as grand jury indicts four Pleasant Grove teens. When they finally got the story fabricated and they blowed it all out of proportion. You know, we were in the news from... Okay, this happened. We were in the news from April to September... Every damn day. Boys charged with murder. Teen may testify. Lawyers to argue self-defense. Juveniles locked up. Families beg. Friend to testify against three. Every day they want to talk about it. Updates. Updates. Like, like it was just gruesome. They used the big sensationalized words. Horrific and this horrendous act and these wild animals and all this. You know, it's just a 
a bunch of crap. Team boasted, smiled about bat beating, classmate says. Beating. Witness testifies how Grocer was killed. Every day. How many people do you know that kill somebody stay in the news that long? I'm talking, I'm not talking about one time a day. I'm talking three times a day. I'm talking morning, evening, and night news. Beating victims. Witnesses tell how Grocer was beaten to death. We are the number one story of morning, evening, and night news. Now, that, 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 it, even in the paper, it's in the paper, it's everywhere. Teens beat Grocer to death with bats after Bat beating suspects out on Teens bond. accused of beating death set to be released. I mean, you bond. know, they blowed this thing way up. And then when they found out, that, you know, they probably found out that, oh, it wasn't what they thought. But, you know, once they got it blown out there, they can't go back and say, oops, well, it wasn't really their fault. Because how's that going to make the DA and all them look like idiots down there and what's... That's about what I think of them anyway, but... One of these articles read as follows. Man with a good, big heart dies after beating from a bat. Birmingham Post-Herald. Jimmy Hill was supposed to have been at his family's grocery store at 3 p.m. today. He was supposed to take over for Avon Glaze, who works the day shift as manager of the store. From his work, he would go back to his wife and four children and start the process over again. He was just a regular guy, said Glaze. He was the type of person that treated people like he wanted to be treated. He was a family man. If you didn't see him at the store, he was with his family, said his sister, Barbara Hill Dudley. Today, Jimmy Hill lies in the morgue, his family waiting for the coroner to release his body to the funeral home. Jimmy was a good man. Who had a good heart and a big heart, said Dudley. I'm sure he was like a lot of others, that he had his faults, but this was uncalled for. Four teenagers are charged with beating Hill to death, mostly blows to the head with baseball bats in front of his Pleasant Grove home. He was trying to protect his family, Dudley said. For several weeks, Dudley said, the teenagers had been coming around to the store, at times cussing or arguing with Hill or his family. On Saturday, the teenagers went to Hill's house. He went out there to talk to them and try and reason with them, said Dudley. Hill stood at 6 feet 4 inches and weighed 235 pounds, but he had a bad leg. He walked away, and when he walked away, they jumped out and attacked him, said Dudley. Dudley and the boys went for Hill's weakest spot, his leg. They knocked him down and crashed the bats on his head until he went unconscious. He was taken to the Caraway Methodist Hospital on Sunday afternoon. The doctors pronounced him brain dead. Three of his accused attackers were free on bail Sunday, charged with attempt murder. Prosecutors are expected to upgrade the charge to murder. Dudley said one of the accused drove by Sunday and waved. While Dudley knew there was an argument between the family and the teenagers, she didn't know what it was. A man with a good, big heart is how he's described in that article. But who was Jimmy Hill? As we know, he was one of the sons of the Hill family, the family that had quite a standing in the community of Pleasant Grove. Their grandfather owned the only grocery store in town, as well as the shopping plaza that it sat within. His brother, Johnny Hill, was the manager of the Hill's grocery store and remains there to this day. So did you know much about this Jimmy Hill character, the guy that was obviously would, would end up passing away? 
Did not know nothing about him either. I actually worked for that store. His granddaddy owned that store. And I did not know Jimmy Hill or Johnny Hill, which is his brother. I uh, knew his daddy. I actually done some work at his house with a front end loader a long time ago. Well, my daddy was in business, but you know, as far as as far as Jimmy Hill, never heard, never knew nothing about this fella. I can't say where he was born, but I know where he come from. Back to Alabama, he come from Cook County, Illinois. Yeah, Jeremy mentions that he may have been in a yeah. bit of trouble somewhere, so so they brought him back to sort of keep an eye on him. Essentially, he was in a lot of trouble with the law in Chicago, and then they brought him down here, trying to keep him out of trouble. And there's a lot of women and stuff that my family have talked to that that were scared to go into the store. And I know that they moved and they put him in the back in like the meat department area. We never could get his records uh, as far as out of state. Now, he had plenty of in-state records. We got a lot of those. It got basically cut off, you know, a lot of, he had a lot of domestic violence. I mean, he was always in trouble. It seemed like every time you turn around, I have got a whole box full of tapes where I interviewed his his prior family, his prior wife that is deceased in her family. You know, I've got all them on tape and none of them had anything good to say about him. Out of everybody that was interviewed, nobody had one good thing to say about Mr. Hill. I mean, he was a he was a horrible person, evidently. I mean, you know, there's all kind of horror stories this man's got in his closet, and I did not know none of this. On the 13th of July, 1997, Jimmy Hill would be arrested and charged with two counts of assault and one count of disorderly conduct. The following is taken from the notes of the responding officer that day. I was called by dispatch to respond to 512 Sandal Ridge on a domestic where a man was assaulting a woman. When I arrived on scene, I saw two white males fighting. I saw James Hill hit Michael McMillan in the face several times. Mr Hill had McMillan in a headlock. After I approached everyone, I separated them. Phyllis Hill, the wife, said that they had come there to check on some things and Mr Hill got mad and started shoving her around and hitting her with a closed fist. Michael McMillan, the stepson, said that he had seen Mr Hill hitting his mother and tried to get him off her and then got involved in a fight with Mr Hill. When I tried to separate Hill and McMillan, Hill would not turn loose of him. When Mr Hill finally let Mr McMillan go, he started pacing back and forth, cursing. I told Hill to sit down and cool off, but he refused to follow my instructions. At this time, all of the neighbours had come outside. Mr Hill kept cursing at the scene until Officer Gamble arrived on scene. Mr Hill was then taken into custody and transported to Hueytown Jail for assault and disorderly conduct. I observed cuts, bruises and scratches on Mrs Hill and cuts and scratches on Mr McMillan. McMillan also had a busted lip. Miss Hill and Mr McMillan both refused medical aid. So Mr Hill was charged with assaulting his wife and stepson after he punched them both repeatedly with a closed fist. He was just a regular guy, said Glaze. He was the type of person that treated people like he wanted to be treated. He was a family man. On May 28, 1998, Jimmy Hill would be charged with menacing. This is taken from the Hueytown Police Department's incident report. On dates and times listed, Mr Richard T Wilson states that he and his aunt, Phyllis P Hill, were being followed by James David Hill, 
Phyllis Hill's husband. Mr Wilson states that he was travelling west on Allison Bonnet Drive and got into the turning lane at Forest Road. When Mr Hill came up beside them, Mr Wilson says Mr Hill then aimed a silver .357 handgun at him. Mr Wilson then drove to the police department to make this report. Mr Hill did not follow them. Mrs Phyllis Hill and Mr James Hill are going through a divorce at this time. These were not the only incidents involving Mr Hill. I have 47 pages of documents relating to charges that have been previously brought against Mr Hill. Multiple charges of harassment, criminal mischief and assaults. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to sit here and say, well, he was obviously a bad man, he deserved what he got. That is most certainly not the case. As we know, there are two sides to every story. The boys say that Jimmy Hill would attack Mark Harper, spit in his face, lick him in the mouth and push him to the ground. He'd then swing his landscaping timber towards Jeremy Kane and as we know, Zach says he swings his bat at Jimmy Hill in an attempt to protect his brother. The prosecution would paint Mr Hill as a member of a family-run grocery store in town. Sure, he used some foul language, but my father was a cusser, the attorney tells the jury. The prosecution would then go on to describe the scene that afternoon. He would paint the picture of an unarmed man trying to back up from the confrontation. And as he backed away, three teenage boys came at him swinging their bats. This is taken from that opening statement. Jimmy walks over into this area and picks up some kind of stick and puts it on his shoulder and says, all right, starts heading towards them. They're cursing one another. They are yelling at one another. There's a standoff. What did Jimmy Hill do? Well, after the cursing and yelling, he finally shakes his head. Let me tell you what they are going to do to him as he is standing there. They have got the bats and they are going like this at him, swinging at him. And he has got his timber. He finally shakes his head, throws the timber on the side of the road, and they keep coming towards him. And he's still cursing. They're walking towards him. Unknown to the three defendants looking out the windows of 1122 Fifth Street were Virginia and Paul Gilliland. When they look out of their house, they never see Jimmy Hill with anything. They see the boys with sticks and the man backing up. They're backing him up and they're swinging their bats after him. They are swinging down towards him. Jimmy makes the last mistake he'll ever make. He grabs his crotch right about the tree, backs away from the cars, grabs his crotch and says something along the lines of, suck my dick. Excuse my language, that is what he said. Something like that. That's when the bats started swinging, started bashing Jimmy Hill, breaking his bones, crushing his skull. He fell after the first lick, down with the first lick. They kept swinging away. The last lick that was thrown was as he was down on the ground. Zach Kane took his bat like an axe. He came over the top, hitting him in the head. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, we, we actually had members of his family come to court to testify to the stuff that he had done to them, and the judge wouldn't allow it. Like, he let him be on the stand, but all he allowed him to say was that he wasn't a very nice man. But the whole time, the district attorney is saying, oh, he's an upstanding citizen. He's, you know, a pillar of the community. He owns a grocery store and all this and that. He didn't own anything. His family did, and he was not a pillar of the community. You know, now, I didn't actually, you know, my family didn't actually know this man. Like, I never actually knew this family. I mean, I knew the store name was Hills Grocery, but I didn't know the people, you know, and then the man that died, I don't think he was even in Alabama for very long before this happened, like maybe a couple of years, not been longer than that, I'm not really sure, but I know he was in a lot of trouble in Chicago, and they brought him down here trying to keep him out of trouble. The strangest thing about this thing is, Mr. Hill, you know, all the trouble he ever got in, all the police reports he ever got uh, that I have, it's got the same judge and the same lawyer on it. Okay, the judge is our judge. The lawyer is Hills Food Center's lawyer. That's where he's granddaddy, the, the store. If you want to know the twist of this thing, I'll go ahead and tell it to you. Yeah. Uh, I did not know none of this until after the fact, but Mr. Hill, two months before this happened, had assaulted a man in his driveway saying basically the same stuff to him and beating on his wonders and almost knocked the wonders out of his car. And the man went to the police department, tried to swear out a warrant. I have that paperwork and the filthy stuff that came out of his mouth, but all of it was thrown out by the judge because he was the judge in the case that turned him loose. Two months, two months before this happened, he had done the same thing in his driveway to another person, a grown man who had the door locked, and he was beating on the windows trying to knock him out. He had to drive off. In the arrest records that were sent to me by the Kane family, it lays out numerous charges placed against Jimmy Hill for a range of different crimes, many relating to harassment, assault and criminal mischief. Now, as you read through these reports, it also lists the judge in which the case has been assigned to, as well as, of course, the lawyer. Now, in each one of Jimmy's situations, each time, of course, he has the same attorney, an attorney, I'm told, who was on retainer for the Hills Foodland. This is the same attorney that Mr Kane says would find legal representation for Chris Stano, the young lad who would take the stand against the other three boys. He wasn't, per se, a lawyer on record, but he was there. OK, 
and he was always in the that boy always had meetings in his office. He recused himself from being his lawyer, but he he appointed him another lawyer. And I got I went to another lawyer and talked to him and actually got him on tape saying, well, that lawyer he appointed ain't nothing but his pawn. He'll do whatever he tells him. So, you know, he just basically hired a lawyer to get, keep that kid under his thumb. What is also interesting is that in a number of cases where it lists the assigned judge, you see the name the Honourable Mac Parsons. What was the relationship with the judge and this family? I don't. I don't know the full relationship. I just know, I know he went before that judge on more than one occasion and the judge was with him out of trouble. Now, as you read through the case action summary in each one of these cases assigned to Mac Parsons, towards the bottom, they all say the same thing. Charge dismissed. So why does this matter? Well, as we know, in the United States, the position of a judge is an elected position. You are elected to that seat by the public that you serve, the men and women of that area. So, as a judge looking for re-election, you need to campaign. And of course, part of campaigning is getting out and about, shaking the hands of those men and women who will elect you back into that seat, meeting them face to face. So where might be a great place to set up your meet and greet, your campaign? What about a food store? What about the Hills Foodland, owned by Jimmy Hill's family. And I know, I know he campaigned at the grocery store, um, but as far as depth of the relationship between him and the family, I don't know to what extent it goes. I just know there's some relation there. I think there might have been like a business relationship, money given to his campaign, um, that type of stuff. The name of the judge is Mac Parsons. Right. He's okay. dead. Oh, he's passed away now. Okay. So, but is there a belief that he had yeah. some sort of connection to this family? And because um, I, I, Jeremy did mention that he, oh yeah, he, um, he, he was actually used that the the grocery store for one of his campaigns. He did. Matter of fact, during the time this was all going to trial, he was campaigning at that store. So it's pretty easy to see how being the judge on a case involving the death of a man from a family you have a relationship with could be seen as a conflict of interest and you might want to look at removing yourself and handing it over to someone else. But the Honourable Mac Parsons, it would appear, did not. So, after 11 months, it would be time for the boys to go to trial. Prior to trial, however, Mark Harper's attorney would in fact come to his family with a deal from the DA's office. A deal that would see him avoid potentially 35 years in prison. At the time, my, my dad is handling like 99% of everything. He's telling me, you know, like everything's going to be okay, you didn't do nothing, you know, you ain't going to prison. I was on bond 11 months. So like month six, they come at me with a uh, you know youthful offender deal, it won't be on my record. I'd serve a little time, but you'd have to testify for the state. And I'm like, well, what would I need to do that for? And then my lawyer's like, dude, I'll tell you, get this deal. Whatever they want you to do, you do it. And you're out. You're back home in 18 months. Then you're gonna go to prison. You know, like a little ranch or something. And you know, me and my dad. I went to lunch that day, and I told my dad, I was like, I, 
to testify against them. There's nothing to testify. There's no, I'm not, I'm not changing the story. It is what it is. You know, like I believe it was self-defense. Yeah, we made stupid decisions by being there and this and that. And that. But this 41-year-old sexually assaulted kid, which is me, the trial is based around me. You know what I mean? Like if I fail them out of any way or caught to say I'm guilty, like Stano, it seems like he's doing. And, you know, my friends, you know, Jeremy, is, I didn't really know Jeremy, but Zach will probably go to prison for the rest of their life. And it's really basically all over me. Yeah, I live with that every day. Do you feel responsible for the whole thing? Of course. Jeremy tells me that he believes there may have been a deal offered to him. However, he says it's a deal he would never be told about. You know, I was informed that I was offered a deal of a 20 split five, which would mean I have a 20 year sentence, but I would serve five years and get out on probation. Well, my lawyer never informed me of this deal and I can't prove it. But from what I was told was it was told to my parents and my parents did not tell me because they did not offer the same deal to my brother. And they couldn't separate us. Um, They couldn't make the decision to separate us. They couldn't make the decision to feel like they were choosing one son over the other and they yeah, wanted both of us out of prison sides, and didn't yeah. think we should be in prison. So I was never informed of that or had that option. What was happening during that time, you know, communications with attorneys and the police and, and that sort of stuff? Because... Jeremy talks. Jeremy. Jeremy talks about a potential deal. He never found out about this, but he. Well, nobody ever found out about it. The lawyers actually was all over said, "Well, they should have took the deal." And we all looked at him like, "What the hell deal are you talking about?" There was never no deal offered to Jeremy or Zachary. The only deal that was ever offered was Mark Harper. He had a deal offered to him. His daddy come to me and told me that they offered Mark youthful offender and served three years. That means he won't have a record. I said, I'll tell you what, Mike. I said, you go ahead and take the deal. I don't care. I said, but if you get up there in court and lie, I said, you're going to have to deal with me the rest of your life. I said, because me and you grow up, we're in this thing together. We, the other family, we wanted to, but, you know, I always talked to Mike, and me and Mike talked. I told him, if Mark's going to lie, after what all you told me to happen that day, I said, if he changes anything, I said, there won't be no place I won't hunt you up. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will beat your butt every day of the week the rest of my life. You know, I mean, you don't lie. You tell the truth, you go get your deal, that's fine. But do not lie. Now, like I've told them and I've told, you know, other people, had they offered me that deal at the time that this happened, um, at my age, I probably would have said no. Obviously, hindsight now, I'd be like, yes, give me whatever I can, I'll be out of prison. At that time, and even today, like, I don't feel as if, not that I didn't do anything wrong, I wish I could have changed what happened, but the stuff happened so fast and me not having a clue as to what was going on, I just felt I did what I tried to do to stop the situation and, you know, it happened a lot worse than, you know, I, I had any idea. Like, it, it happened so fast that I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, had I known, because I knew, like, of a, a previous, um, there was a, a previous thing where, um, I had heard rumors or something about my brother and Mark or something trying to meet that guy to fight or something. 
And I like, I don't care about that. I have nothing to do with that. I'm not going to meet nobody to fight. You know, if I had known they were going to look for anyone, I'd be like, no, we're not doing that. Absolutely not. I'm not looking for no, I'm not, that's not going to do with me. Um, you know, I just, I wish that friend hadn't called me and wanted me to go keep Mark and my brother away from the stupid girlfriend. It just, it sucks. You know, you've been told that potentially your parents were given a deal, but they didn't say anything to you about it. Have you, you've obviously asked them about that, I'm assuming? Yes. Um, I did about a year ago. It was a pretty, I don't know, it may not have been a year ago, around about a year ago. And um, it was a pretty intense conversation. And the only thing I got out of my parents was that um, my Mark's lawyer, um, Richard Jaffe, told my dad that for $10,000, he could go speak with Arthur Green and see about getting me out. But he didn't do it because they wouldn't do anything for my brother, basically. Right. And he said he wouldn't guarantee him anything. And at the time, he didn't have $10,000 more just to give him the try. That's all I got out of my parents. You have one minute remaining. And that's all we have time for. But coming up, the boys are on trial with one of Jeremy's former friends testifying for the prosecution and an apparent eyewitness whose testimony grows from a paragraph to hours on the stand. I just know that he did not see as much as he said he saw. He fell off his porch, rolled around across the ground, and and everything happened in literally seconds. I mean, we're talking 15, 20 seconds, maybe, tops. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.